Want to get the edge in your Premier League betting predictions? Pinnacle delved deeper into the data behind all of the Premier League matches every single game week. We combine Pinnacle's sharp betting markets with the game's latest analytical metrics to help you find value in the odds. This is EPL Insights. Welcome to Game Week 4 of EPL Insights here on Pinnacle. Gareth Wheeler, Jake Osgathorpe with you. I feel like now I'm doing your job. Wonderful work last week, Jake, filling in with hosting duties. Thanks again to Andrew Beasley for stepping in as me and the family went on a little bit of a vacay. And it was a week that I wish I just didn't make picks at all because it was a tough one across the board. When I looked at the board last week, Jake, I... I, I I thought there were some really strong plays and then things completely went pear-shaped and the week simply didn't go as planned. Yeah, just one of those weeks. Um, that's what we put it down to. It's, you know, I, I've been banging the drum since game week one that any kind of profit through the first four or five weeks I would take because it's just such an unpredictable stage of the season. We still don't know what teams are going to look like. We still don't know how teams will approach certain games, certain opponents. Um, and yeah, we, you know, the first two weeks, it did seem like it was all too good to be true. And then back down to earth a little bit last week with a couple of um, bad beats. Uh, yeah, it was like I said, just one of those. A couple of unlucky results in there as well. Um, you know, the, the Brentford one, Crystal Palace created pretty much nothing against Brentford. Oh, um, and that one hurt. I, I have to admit, I was watching. That one hurt. I thought it was locked on. Yeah. Um, my biggest play of the weekend was City to win to nil as well. And that was cruising in. Sheffield United weren't looking like scoring. And then Kyle Walker does a really weird back heel inside his own 18-yard box. It's just like you just cannot plan for that kind of thing in betting that obviously led to a goal. And the fact that you did the back heel and just laid on the side of the pitch as well. So I did, yeah. get back in, buddy. Like, help your mates out. Um, yeah, that kind of thing was just, yeah, summed up the week really. Um, and then if you want to delve into the data... Man United, I was, we were both on them to win the, on the handicap. They absolutely dominated the XG count. It was like 3.4 to 0.9. So they, you know, in theory, if they'd have taken the chances at the correct rate, that would have landed. The same for me with Arsenal against Fulham. Arsenal over 3.4 XG as well. Fulham 0.5. So yeah, on another day that, that cruises in, um, as well. But we were just chatting off air, weren't we, about the Newcastle game and the fact that they were just in total control of that match. 1-0 up, you're thinking this is, you know, it's almost too good to be true. They could have probably gone 2-0 up. They hit the post, didn't they, before Liverpool equalised and then um, sucker punched twice. So that Newcastle uh, win bet was down the drain for me. So, yeah, just a couple of bad beats, but you're going to get weeks like this through the season. The footballing gods weren't on our side. I'm going to take blame for, for, for stepping away so early in the season. It's this connection <laughs> It's all right your here. fault. We, we feed off one another, Jake. It means good things. And now we're reunited. And I hope that it means a better week for both of us. Uh, I had two outright victories, five losses and a half loss as well. Uh, I'm still profitable on the year thus far, uh, plus one. Uh, 0.8 units thus far. So I'm happy with that. Ga game week two was, it was a really good one, uh, for me out of the gate. Last week, some big numbers came through and cashed as well. The Arsenal Fulham draw. Talk about another game that, that just completely went against the script. Uh, the draw closed at plus 529. Uh, West Ham to, to win at Brighton opened at plus 583. 
a huge number. It closed at plus 395. Yeah. I think they had about 22% possession, but it didn't matter. Uh, 3-1 victory at Brighton. Liverpool closed at plus 222. Uh, th- that, that seemed a big number for me. And after the red, plus 1642. And Manchester United, after going down 2-0, uh, you could have played them at pinnacle at plus 217. I think people did lump on 59% of the bets came in on Manchester United. A lot of time to play in that game. And as you said, vastly the superior team. Interestingly, a, a couple of trends that we're starting to pick up on. We are still in these early stages of the season. And just take note of these things. Uh, seven games last week went over two and a half goals and six out of the nine games a week before went over two and a half. And it was a weird one last week, just two home outright wins. Um, do these markets, the, the totals stand out to you? Uh, early season form, perhaps the cards market as uh, obviously the leniency simply isn't there right now. Um, are, is there an early trend that you're tracking yourself, Jake? Um, I kind of touched on it a bit on last week's pod that the trends just in general for goals, cards and corners are all like up quite considerably on on last season. And I think that's to do with, from a card perspective, the tightening of the laws. You know, you're getting booked for sneezing on the ball. Um, you know, the, the added time that's been introduced is having an impact on more goals and more car- more corners. There's quite a few more late goals. Um, but just in general, I think that the the Premier League right now if you look down the list of teams, I'd probably say 70%, maybe more than 70% of teams are managed by attack-minded coaches who want to play on the front foot. And that ultimately leads to goals. You know, you go down, you've got Man City, West Ham are probably an exception. Uh, Tottenham, Liverpool, Arsenal, Brighton, Villa, Man United, Brentford generally play on the front foot. Chelsea front foot. Crystal Palace are like fence. Fulham, they always play on the front, front foot. Newcastle front foot. And then you've got your Forest, your Wolves, your Sheffield United's. Um, Luton and Everton that are generally back foot teams. Um, Bournemouth were one in between there that I didn't mention. So generally, you've got quite a large proportion of the league that actually play on the front foot and are actually looking to win games and score goals rather than maybe five, six years ago, probably half the league were just playing to set up and kind of hold on for dear life, especially when they're playing against the better teams. But we're, we're not seeing as much of that um, this season. And I think it will continue, to be honest, because I do think that the calibre of manager we've got, the calibre of the attacking players has definitely gone up a notch. Yeah, um, betting the overs is such a public play. You want you want to see a game with goals, and, and but I feel like more times than not, I've been siding with the over, uh, especially heading into this week as well. Uh, so I'm with you on all of that. This week, there's another wrinkle to deal with, as if the start of the season hasn't been difficult enough to manage. The transfer window closes on Friday. Now, now typically teams. You know, players who are out of the picture haven't been playing anyways, but it's more about the players that come in, but perhaps that won't be uh, that much of a factor come this weekend. Does it play any or have any influence on you in terms of what your plays may be this weekend? Um, Not particularly, no. Um, The reason being, we're recording this on a Wednesday, the transfer window shuts on a Friday, and I believe that to play at the weekend, they have to be registered by around lunchtime on Friday. So any late deals that happen on Friday, they won't be included in the weekend. They'll only feature after the international break. I could be wrong there, but that's my understanding anyway. Um, and then, yeah, between now and then, are any players going to come in that really are going to make that much of a difference to you know my opinions on, on teams and upgrade or downgrade, depending? 
Probably not. You know, you, you're talking about like Erling Haaland leaving Man City, which would be kind of the biggest downgrade. And, and those kind of things just aren't going to happen. You know, even if Manchester United do go out and bring in a midfielder, it's not going to, I'm not going to upgrade them drastically. Um, so yeah, I, I'd say no at this moment in time. Um, it's definitely something I've been looking at more around game week seven, game week eight, once we've seen them in action to see how, what, how much they can bring. I mean, you know, the, the latest deal that just looks like it's going to go through is uh, Mateus Nunez to Manchester City, which is an interesting one because I don't know about you. I don't. I, he's shown flashes at Wolves, but I didn't, I'm not seeing the kind of caliber of player to step in and do a job for Man City. But um, you know, I guess he is young. The potential upside there, but you know that that kind of signing, for example, is not something that gets me going. Wow, yeah. like, I'm going to go Man City minus two and a half on the handicap this week, not minus two. Um, but yeah, that it's it's an interest, interesting time of the season. You're getting a lot of players that are actually Nunes being one that are refusing to train, which is always handy. Um, you know, just kind of force a move away. And I guess the only other one that I would mention that's, that's been rumoured at the moment is Bayern Munich making a late move for João Polinha, which will be a, quite a big one for Fulham, I think. Um, he would potentially be up there as one that... I mean, I already view Fulham as a potential relegation candidate, and I still do, given the performances. But if he was to move on, that would be one that would turn my head a little bit. Well, uh, there's only one real move that would completely change the way that I feel about a team and make me feel about a potential play this weekend. And it's unlikely that this move goes through, but Mo Salah, (laughs) if he ends up going to Saudi, um, there's an immediate knock-on effect uh, right there for Liverpool. But outside of that, there's nothing that we see at the time of recording that can change things. But obviously this week, a little bit funny that way. Then we head into the international break. Then we can reset after that. Uh, very quickly before we get to our picks, is there a team that you think has to dip into the market? Is there a certain team that you're keeping your eye on that uh, if they're able to add or maybe even subtract a player that it would really change the way or reinforce the way that you feel about them? Um, I mean, there's, there's a few teams I would like to see sign a couple of players. Um, Liverpool, I think they still need another midfielder. I'd, I'd like to see them bring in another midfielder just to provide a bit more cover and a bit more solidity. And then I think they would potentially have uh, a title contending Squad. I mean, so it's going to be difficult given how good City look. At this maybe a center back. Would, maybe a center back as well. Depending. Maybe on, they'd probably have to move one on though because we've got yeah. Matip, Gomez, and Van Dijk. That's fine. And Canate. Um, I think Man United are probably another one. They've got a lot of injury issues right now. Uh, Malassia and Shaw are both out, so now they're looking for a left back. Probably is required because um, I think the cover after Dallo and Wambisaka is very limited. Um, Brandon Williams has gone out on loan as well, so he, he would have been a good one to kind of slot in either side. Uh, they also need a midfielder, in my mind. Manchester United, another midfielder. Probably um, need another attacker as well. They probably need three. Yeah. Players. I mean, the problem is you've signed a striker for 72 million quid who's injured. I'm not quite sure who signed off on that one, but um, yeah, that, that's a bizarre one for me. You kind of, if you want, if you're buying someone for that much money, you kind of want them to come in straight away. Um, but, one of those where you're probably betting on potential. Um, I mean, personally, I would have just stumped up another 50 million or Aussie men or Hurricane and just got it over and done with. And you, you're buying a proven product, but that's not the way they want to go. Um, other than that, I don't, I'm not sure. I like the way Tottenham are setting up. Um, I know that there's question marks around their striking position with Charlison, but I think in that system, 
he's not going to be asked to score goals, to be honest. I think his, his first kind of protocol is to just help the players around him, um, create for the players around him. Um, and yeah, goals are kind of a bit of an afterthought. As long as the team is, is scoring goals, I think, um, I think Postacoglu is a guy that's generally going to be happy. Uh, apart from that, I think Brighton have just brought in another midfielder from Lille. So yeah. that kind of ticks a box for them. Newcastle are an interesting one because they're, their starting eleven on paper is fairly steady, fairly solid. They're just, I don't know, just missing that little bit of added flair up front. Something that scares you. You know, you look at that front three. Isak scares me a little bit, but Anthony Gordon and Almiron don't really frighten you. I think they could do with one. It's not in their business model at the moment to go out and buy a, you know, Usman Dembele kind of character um, who's got that kind of world-class quality, that top-level ability that will just pin the defence back. But it'd be nice to see. I don't think it'll happen this window, maybe next window, but I think that's it. for to push them over the edge, in my opinion, just make them an absolute shoo-in for top four. That's what they would require. Yeah, just two more that I'm keeping an eye on. Chelsea, what kind of attacker they can add to their team because they've really impressed me. They have a bunch of injury issues, but might be a little bit light in terms of the goals. And at the bottom of the table, I'd be very nervous if I was an Everton supporter right now because they're the only side that hasn't scored a goal and it looks like they'll potentially lose more players than they'll actually bring in. Um, They have brought in Beto. Um, the guy from Udinese, he's um, he's a, an interesting kind of por- uh, profile. Uh, quite a lot of his goals last season were penalties, but I think he's, I don't know, he's, he's a bit more of an agile road Rondon, is what I would describe him as. Yeah. I've been watching him a bit. Um, so he could pretend, I mean, just, gen- just in general, they need a striker that stays fit, let's be honest, that isn't Neil Morpé. That's the only way that they're going to have any chance is because um, Calvert-Lewin is just so unreliable in that regard. So just having a body in there is definitely a plus. But like you said, if it looks like Damari Gray is going to be on his way out, they probably yeah. need a replacement winger. Uh, Iwobi's linked with a move away to yep. Fulham as well. So yeah, Everton are a big crisis club at the moment. You know, that that's where it costs and how much are you willing to spend? They, they need goals in that team. I don't think they've played poorly through these first three weeks necessarily, but I mean... It, they simply just can't score. Um, so there, there has to be some concern there. So that's a little bit of an overview. We'll break it all down uh, through the interna- international break and heading into game week five. But let's turn our attention back specifically to game week four with our picks and predictions and prognostications. Our feature five rapid fire that will provide you our best bets of the week. And let's get stuck right in. Game week five, and it's a 3 p.m. local time game on Saturday. It's Chelsea and Nottingham Forest. Chelsea on four points, Forest on three. Chelsea coming off the 3-0 victory over Luton Town last Friday. Sterling with the brace. Jackson, who's looked really good leading the line for Chelsea, um, scored the goals in that game. A 3.41 XG in that game to just .47. It was convincing. Yes, it was Luton Town, but... Chelsea played well under Poch out of the gate. They've scored in every game they played, and they've a nearly a seven um, XG, and that is massive improvement over those last three games. They simply couldn't score last season, but now they look much more fluid uh, going forward in attack. And that's considering Reese James has come out, Mudrick's not on form, a bunch of injuries in this team, so I think they've done well out of the gate this season. Nottingham Forest, what could have been from 2-0 up at Old Trafford in four minutes to a 3-2 loss. Uh, Amonini, three, goal, three, uh, three goals in three games. 
He actually has scored goals in seven straight games overall. Whirl was sent off in that game. It was a controversial penalty. Bruno scored it. Um, but still, it's, it's just another loss, an away loss, I should say, for Nottingham Forest. Five goals for, six goals against in the first three games. They've gone over in all three games they played, and both teams to score have cashed in all three games. It's a peculiar one. They didn't follow through trying to bring in Dean Henderson because the American Matt Turner does not seem to be the answer. Chelsea head-to-head with Nottingham Forest. Uh, no losses in seven. Forest, no clean sheets in their last seven. Both teams of scores played in five of six. Last season, they played to a 2-2 draw as well as a 1-1 draw. How are you looking at this this game, Jake? Because I think Forest have played pretty well out of the gate as well. You know, you can echo my sentiments on Chelsea if you want as well, but it's two teams that aren't perfect but are showing some good signs. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not buying into the Nottingham Forest um have looked okay. Man United kind of gifted them two goals, didn't they? I mean, the, the first one is a bit of a joke, really, from the defending to the goalkeeping um, on Manchester United's part. I mean, Onana basically just laid on the floor and let him tap it in the net. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not getting involved um, too heavily in, in giving a bit of praise to Forest. I think the fact that they're scoring goals away from home is a bit of a plus, but I think that stops here. I'm actually taking Chelsea to win to nil at plus one forty four. Wow, um, looks a big number to me, and that. It's one of those where I want to back Chelsea. The handicap is probably a little bit too, it's minus 1.25. And, and to me, I can see this being quite a narrow game. But I just think if, if, if it goes, if it's going away, I'm, I think it's going to go. Chelsea are going to dominate the football uh, like they did against West Ham. They were unfortunate against West Ham um, and like they did against Luton. And they'll just suffocate Nottingham Forest. I don't think Forest will be able to get out. I think now that they've got Caicedo bedded in, um, he's going to be that destroyer that they were missing in that game against West Ham. Um, it will be able to break up those counter-attacks. And I think that this is a, a really good opportunity for this Chelsea team to kick on. And they were really good against Luton. As you said, it, it was Luton. But I don't think Nottingham Forest are that much better than Luton. Um, allowed just 0.47 expected goals against in that game. And they've created, generated plenty of chances at Stamford Bridge in the two home matches, which is something that we didn't see last season at all. Um, and as you mentioned, Forest away from home, just in general, are rubbish. Uh, lost 15 of 22 since promotion, which is just staggering. Won once. Um, so, you know, to think that they can go there, I mean, they, they could well cause problems because they have the potential to be an awkward opponent. But yeah, I, you know, if you're looking at their, their games against top half teams last season, I think Chelsea are a top half team this season. So I'm counting them in that. They lost nine of 10 last season against top half. They've already lost. Uh, two of two so far this time around. Um, and since promotion, they've averaged just 0.8 expected goals for per away game. So they don't create a lot of chances away from home. And I think they'll probably get even fewer chances against this good Chelsea team. And flip side of that, conceding nearly 2.3 expected goals against per game when playing away from home. So generally just really bad travellers. So I'm going to do a full unit on Chelsea to win to nil at plus 144. Okay, uh, full unit on the over, 2.75. Uh, Forrest, uh, for me, just don't have a Premier League caliber goalkeeper, but they have three really good strikers. Uh, Brennan Johnson, uh, we'll keep an eye on him because there is some 
there, there are some links that he could be moved. I'm not sure how likely that may or may not be, but I do think Forest have enough in attack. They've scored in every game that they played this year, but from a defensive side, game control side, I think that Chelsea's vastly superior. So I think it's one of those games could be, could be a, could be a four one, could be a three two. I think the Chelsea are the better side. I wouldn't bet against them in this game. You documented how poorly Forrest plays away from home, but I do think that there's a possibility that this game, that this game does open up a little bit. I was tempted to play both teams to score yes at minus 107, but if things go really wrong, and we've seen this Forrest away from the past where the 2-0 turns into a 4-0, just like that. So I'd rather play the over, give up some juice, over 2.75 at minus 120, a full unit play. Do you think this game might be low scoring, Jake? Are you looking at it in a different way? Yeah, I just think I think we'll, we'll probably start to see a bit of that from Chelsea because they are they're asserting the dominance in terms of possession um, and you know pressing the, their opponent back into the final third. I do think that we will start to see more of a kind of a two nil scoreline with this Chelsea, where you know they're winning fairly comfortably um, and it's 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 in hand, but they don't really overextend themselves too much and and you know a bit like Man City. Have, Previous seasons where, you know, it's, it's almost that really controlled victory that just looks easy. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to have so many football matches. I know Chelsea aren't tonight in Europe, but it's a good habit to get into to just kind of get, get a couple of goals up and kill the game. And, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this went over, but I, I, I don't know. Personally, I, I think that there's, it's more likely that Forest don't contribute to the scoring in this game than, the, than they actually do. Um, um, I just think Chelsea have found a nice settled back line now as well. You know, there's a lot of talk pre-season about the fact they've got quite a few injuries. But, you know, they've got Colwell in there. looks very settled. Obviously, Silver and Diassi are looking settled. And Gusto's coming at right back. And, you know, a lot of question marks about Reese James. But they'd, they'd signed Malo Gusto a for a reason last season. Yeah, He's a good player. Just, you know, he's out of sight, out of mind, being on loan at Leon last at the back end of last season. Now he's back. Um, he's going to be a player that will push Reese James for that starting position. You know, I know Reese James is captain and he will obviously play, but he might help Reese James improve his game because he's got, you know, maybe a lighter fire under his ass. Yeah. Yeah. I, again, it's a forest game. I just think there's going to be goals. By the way, both teams are playing in the EFL Cup this week. Chelsea playing at this early stage. It's a really it's crazy, weird one as well. Really, really weird. Uh, something to keep in mind. A bunch of these teams that we'll be documenting this week will be playing midweek fixtures, some with rotation. Uh, some with less of that, but at least something uh, worthwhile to consider when making your plays this weekend. So we kind of look at things in a little bit of a different way, not contrasting bets, but the way that we see things playing out, uh, certainly uh, a different perspective there. Let's see if we're aligned for this next match. It's Burnley and Spurs. It's been a difficult couple games out of the gate for Burnley in the Premier League thus far. They lost 3-1 at home to an impressive Aston Villa side on the weekend. Burnley did a 57% possession in that game, but only a 0.63 XG. And it's back-to-back games now where they've conceded three goals. Good competition, but that has to be a little bit of a worry for Vincent Company. This is their third Premier League game of the season. And their third home match as well, because of course the game that was supposed to be played away to Luton Town was delayed to a further uh, future date. For Spurs, coming off a really good 2-0 victory 
uh, over Bournemouth last week, and I thought it was going to be a much more difficult time than it actually was for them. James Madison, your boy, Jake Osgathorpe, mm-hmm. uh, scored a goal. He's off to a good start with Spurs. Kulusevsky scored as well. They're undefeated in the Premier League, but in typical Spurs fashion, here we go, knocked out of the EFL Cup this week. And it was in penalties. It was to Fulham. But are Spurs ever going to win a trophy? I Probably not in either one of our lifetime, but here we go. What matters is how they play this week for the purposes of this podcast. They did score and have scored two goals uh, in each and every one of their three Premier League games played thus far. And back-to-back clean sheets for them as well, which is a good sign with a unpredictable back line and a young goalkeeper. Head-to-head, Burnley Spurs, they played twice in 2022, and it was a 1-0 home win for the home sides in each game, they played to under two and a half in five of six. Uh, this one's a difficult game for me to look at. I'm not sure if you're looking at the markets, uh, nothing really jumping off the page to me. A Burnley win at plus 291, the draw at plus 303, a Spurs win at minus 111. If you're backing Spurs and believe that this impressive start under Postacoglu can continue, then I think that would be the play. But is there a possibility that a different script is written this weekend? Um, I don't. I'm not too sure. Uh, I am of the belief that Tottenham will win this weekend, but I think that price is just a little bit on the short side. You know, they went off at um, marginally odds against against Bournemouth, and I don't think I think Burnley are probably they're not at Bournemouth's level, but I don't think they're too far away. I know they've had a couple of bad results to start the season, but they've played two really good teams, two teams that we think are going to be in the top eight this season, top eight, top nine. Um, and they, they, they play another one here who I think is going to be in the top nine. I, I, I think that price for me is a little bit too short to get involved with, uh, especially given we've not seen Tottenham be you know too convincing defensively, especially... In the opening couple of games against Man United and, uh, and Brentford, they weren't brilliant at the back. They gave up quite a few good chances. Um, I mean, overall this season, they've shipped 4.8 expected goals, which, you know, as an average, we're looking at around um, 1.44, which is still quite high. So I would be swerving the Tottenham win. However, I do really like the look of Tottenham um, on the team total at over one and a half which is priced at minus 130. Um, so just Tottenham score two or more goals, basically. You know, they look fun. They're playing with a lot of attacking vigour. Uh, the, the new style seems to have revitalised a couple of players. Uh, and they've scored twice or more in all three of the games so far. And there's no reason why it shouldn't be four. I mean, they've, they've averaged over two expected goals per game um, under Postacoglu. And as you mentioned, Burnley have shipped three or more goals in both home matches so far, conceding 2.4 actually against City, 2.8 against Villa. And uh, they've not looked really, they've not looked, you know, good at the back at all. And, and I think it's partly down to style because Burnley are a team that anyone who's watched them will know that they, they press high and they press in a man to man style system, which, you know, against the lesser teams, we'll see them pick up quite a few points, I think, because they'll have something that they don't know how to deal with or the lesser teams won't have the quality of players to kind of break through, break through that line against, you know, Man City. The champions, that ain't going to work because they've got much better players than what you do in a one-to-one system. And against Aston Villa, you're coming up against a really shrewd coach um, who knows how to pick that apart. And they've got some really good technical players. You know, you just look, think about one of the goals they scored last week and Musa Diaby was brilliant, picking the ball up on the half turn, beating a player. Um, they have players that can do that in tight spaces and Spurs are exactly the same. They have players that can do that. And I think that this is a, this is a game very similar to the Bournemouth game 
in terms of style for Tottenham. Uh, and I think that they'll relish this opportunity to rack up another potential three points against a, a team that, you know, clash of styles almost um, should be in their favour. So, yeah, I think this is a good game for Spurs. However, I do think they are a tiny bit short. I still need to see a little bit more for me to think that they, they, they should be back to this kind of price when travelling. So are you going to make a play? Uh, do, do you like the yeah. the total? What do you yeah, like? yeah, Spurs on the team total. Um, that was the play. Minus 130. And it's going to be a one and a half unit play for me on that one. Wow, okay. Um, yeah, so Spurs has scored two or more, basically. No play for me in, in this game. I think there's a lot of intrigue. For whatever reason, I just... This is more about Burnley than it is about Spurs for me. Spurs, I've been a pleasant surprise out of the gate. I probably need to see a little bit more, but I I think there's a significant advantage them playing their third game at home already. And this seems like one that company would have circled here. Heading into the international break, you want to pick up a victory. You played some really good teams, so I don't think it's going to be like a step up in competition for them. It's it's just one that I look at, just the way that it's scheduled, the way that it shapes out, that I think that it's going to be a little bit unpredictable. Um, and I'm not getting enough juice. Burnley on the handicap. You know, I was looking at the Burnley team total, to be honest, but it's one and a half goals at plus 185 on Pinnacle. Are they going to score twice against the Spurs team? I mean, a couple of weeks ago, this would have been a bang on bet for me, just the, the way that I kind of look at the Spurs back line, but they've been good. They've been really well organized under Postacoglu. And that's not what, you, you know, the first thing you think of when you think of this new manager. That's why I just, I'm a little bit nervous that it all might come apart a little bit for Spurs this week. I just, I'm just really reluctant to make a play. So I'm just not going to make one at all. So um, I need to see more from Burnley. Like, I don't think they've been that bad, but I think you're right. They played two really impressive managers thus far. They've got the better of their own impressive manager. So I I need to see more of Burnley. That's that's the basically that's my take. That's where I stand. Anything else to add or do you want to move on? No, let's move on. Uh, let's go to Brighton and Newcastle. It's a 5.30 p.m. game, local time on Saturday. Brighton, 3-1 home loss to West Ham last week. A consolation goal through Pascal Gross. That, game, that goal came late. They did have 25 shots and 10 on target in this game and 78%, uh, 78% possession, but only a 1.37 XG according to Understat. They have the best XG, the highest in the Premier League at 8.9. That's substantially more than anyone else, but they also have the third worst expected goals against thus far in the Premier League. This is deserving ball. Lots of chances created, lots of chances given away. Uh, they have the most goals in the Premier League with nine. Sully March, by the way, is three. Joint best in the Premier League. They have the most shots and the most shots on target. They've gone over the goal total in all three. And both teams to score has played in all three as well. And CISO remains out as a long-term absentee. But they did bring in another midfielder from Lille, Baliba, who looks like he could be uh, a really good player. And join a talented young group of players that just were rattled a little bit last week against David Moyes and West Ham. For Newcastle, up a goal. Up a man at home, breaking Jake Osgothorpe's heart, and probably many of you out there as well, and end up losing 2-1 to Liverpool. Uh, Anthony Gordon did score the goal in that game of note. Botman went off injured as well, which could be a little bit of a concern across the back. They do have some depth, but 
Bobbin's been really good for this team. Take it off Tenali by Eddie Howe. Talk about regrets when it comes to that game. Not sure why he wanted to go about and do that. They had 23 shots, but they were just comfortable. They didn't push on to find that second goal, and they were punished for it. Back-to-back losses. I mean, they did have come against City and Liverpool, but that Liverpool one at home will sting. It's been a tough start to the season based upon their schedule, and they've conceded in all three games they played as well. Head-to-head, Newcastle haven't lost to Brighton five. These two sides have played over two and a half and five of seven. Both teams' scorers played in four of five. They did play to a goalless draw at the Amex last season, but Newcastle came away with a 4-1 home win. They did also play in the preseason, if that may matter to you out there, and Newcastle won that game 2-1. It's a bounce-back week or a potential bounce-back week for both these sides. Who has more bounce in their step entering the weekend, Jake? Um, it's a good question. Um, I found this game really difficult to try and assess. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of both teams. I think Brighton, I, I was very disappointed with their performance last week. I mean, you know, thankfully I kind of swerved Brighton on the handicap, which was in my contemplation in that game. And I went with the overs, which just generally is, is an automatic play for Brighton. But, um, you know, they, they, they've played, Three games, picked up six points. They've played Luton, Wolves, and West Ham. So, you know, Luton and Wolves, I think, will be in the bottom six. West Ham are looking better than that, but they're yet to play kind of a, you know, a team that finished in the top seven, top eight last season. Whereas Newcastle have played three teams of that ilk already, and this will be a fourth. So they've had a really tough start this season, schedule wise, Newcastle. I just wonder if they're, they're, you know, this is a bit of a, Another step up for for Brighton, taking on this kind of opponent. Um, Having said that, this is why I went back and forth. I'm still going back and forth. Brighton's recent record against the big teams, so Arsenal, City, Tottenham, Man United, Newcastle, Chelsea and Liverpool, is impressive. They've won 11 of 20 against those teams. So when they play against the better teams, they generally raise the level. So I was flirting with a Brighton plus naught on the handicap. But then I just thought, I think it'd be better to sit and watch. So I'm going to sit and watch and have no bet on this game. Okay. Not even the goal. Well, you said it, Jake. The over is an automatic play when Brighton's on the field. And that's what I'm going to do here. And I just, I don't think, this was my question about Newcastle this year. They have all these different tools. They have all these very talented players. But is it going to force their back line to play in a different way? Away games like this last year, they always played so cagey, so safe. But I just don't think that this team is built to play this way anymore. I think there's been an evolution. And I think the back line, I think they're vulnerable, especially to pace and players that want to play a little bit direct and some some good good players both on and off the ball. And that's what Brighton bring to the table. I'm going over 3.25 at plus 101. Um, let's make it... Let's let's live life dangerously here. Let's go uh, one and a half units on this one, just because Bright- Brighton has been so good in terms of. I was also looking at both the team totals, by the way, on Pinnacle. Brighton to go over a goal and a half minus one hundred one, Newcastle to go over a goal and a half minus one hundred eight. I think they both could go over the total in this game. The way that Brighton plays is being played at the Amex back to back weeks there. Um, I think there's goals in this game. So I, I wouldn't talk anyone off making either one of those plays either for either team, to be fair. But we'll just stick with 
over 3.25 at plus 101, one and a half unit plays. Yeah, uh, that that would be my play. But as I said, I'm sitting on the fence. Um, I'm not putting an official play in the book. I just wonder, I mean, I'm, I am surprised looking at the market, uh, looking at Pinnacle, that, that you are getting Brighton as outsiders in this match. Yeah. That does surprise me, which is, again, why I was leaning towards them on the handicap. Plus 166 um, for a Brighton win. Newcastle plus 149. So the favourites away at Brighton, which suggests to me that the bookmaker thinks that Newcastle are a much better team than Brighton if played on a neutral venue. And I don't know if that's the case. I need to see a little bit more from both. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a fun game. I do wonder if Newcastle will do will try and do what West Ham did last last week. Soak up pressure and counter-attack. Because they, the, they have the capability, they have the players to be able to do that counter-attack um, game plan really, really well. You know, the pace they've got on the wings. They've got players in Gamirish and and, uh, and Joel Linton that can, you know, progress the ball with dribbles in, you know, in the face of pressure. So I do wonder if, it's, if, if we might see another, you know, fairly heavy home defeat for Brighton. But yeah, I, I, if I was to have a play, it would be the goals because it's the safer angle. Um, but I am going to sit it out and just just watch because I do feel like I need to get a couple more weeks of watching Newcastle in just to just to get a proper gauge on how they are. Um, especially as I've said that they've had a really tough schedule to start the season. So I think any anyone who judges them after these four games um, is being a bit unfair because they're not going to yeah. be playing those four teams every week. Well, I, I just hope that. Eddie Howe doesn't use his away form like he did last year in this game or against Arsenal or at Old Trafford last year. I'm, I'm hoping that he comes out to play. That's the only thing that, for me, makes me a little bit nervous, but I'll just bet on Deserby playing at home, um, opening things up, and hopefully we get a reward with some goals in that game. Uh, moving on to Sunday, 2 p.m. local time. A really good game this weekend. It's Liverpool and Aston Villa. Uh, Darwin Nunez came on in the 77th minute. Liverpool, a man down, scored goals in the 81st and 90 plus three as 10 men Liverpool go on and beat Newcastle last weekend. Virgil van Dijk was sent off in that game. He is suspended. Kanate also is out. He is injured, so the centre-back depth will be tested for Liverpool in this one. Both teams of scores played in all three Liverpool games thus far. For Aston Villa, Villa Matty Cash, straight money. Uh, picked up a brace in the game. Diaby was was great. Looks to be a really good pickup by Aston Villa as well. Uh, they both they, they both scored in a 3-1 impressive away win at Burnley. I thought the football they played, the, the movement was excellent. Robin Olsen was the goalkeeper as Emmy Martinez was out through injury as well. They played with three center backs, but intelligent rotation and movement off the ball. I really like what Unai Emery has done and how he's adjusted since the first game of the season. Eight goals scored is the second highest. Um, and they're, they also have the second highest XG through three games as well. They play Hibs on Thursday in Europa League qualification, but they won 5-0 away the week prior, so it shouldn't make too much of a difference. Head-to-head, Liverpool haven't lost to Villa in six. Liverpool, no clean sheets, however, in three. Aston Villa, no clean sheets against Liverpool in their last eight. The overs played. Uh, over two and a half is played in five of seven. In this fixture last season, it finished in a 1-1 final and Liverpool won last December 3-1 at Villa Park. So, so Liverpool, I mean, it, it's a great result. 
got off to a decent start to the season, but this Villa side, there's something about them. I, I like them coming into the season and I've seen nothing that would change my mind despite losing 5-1 the opening week of the season. So what do you make of this game? Now that could be another really good match. Uh, yeah, I think this is another potential um, cracker. I think we should plenty of goals on the cards. Uh, yeah, Liverpool, they're a funny one. I mean, I thought that the signings that they made would improve them, but they don't seem to have. They seem to be playing exactly the same way, which is, you know, chance creation monsters, but very vulnerable defensively still. Um, whether you f- they need to sign a defender to fix that or whether they need to sign or let Endo bed in a little bit more in, in, into that holding midfield role, I'm not too sure. But, you know, they are a team that do give you chances. And I think Villa are a team, especially under Emery and recently, at the start of this season, they are a team that looks play on the front foot and they will be able to take advantage of, you know, what is on paper Liverpool's kind of second string centre-half pairing. I think we'd, we'd agree Canate and Van Dijk are the, yeah. the main two. So having Gomez and Matip in there, um, you know, it could be a game in which Villa maybe score a couple of goals at Anfield. Um, I was just looking at the at the goal line. It's set at 3.25. Um I'm happy to drop it to over three at a shortish price and take that as my play. It's minus 148, and I'm going to go two units on that because I think it's... Wow. I would be shocked if this didn't have at least three goals, and exactly three goals would be a push. We get our money back at four goals or more. Obviously, we get a winner. Um, so, yeah, Liverpool, as I've mentioned, really strong in attack. 1.8 expected goals for per game this season. At home since 2017, they've won 86 of 115 matches and they've lost just seven times since 2017. And if you remember, six of those defeats came in a row during the COVID season. So they've had basically like four seasons of not losing at home. Um, And across that time period, so a a really strong data set there of 115 matches. They've averaged 2.3 expected goals for per game. Um, and over two and a half goals has clicked in 58% of their 115 matches. So bulky sample size, a lot of goals, and Villa, 14 goals in three matches so far. So we've gone from a really chunky sample size to a really little sample size, <laughs> three goal, three games, um, 14 goals scored in three matches and 4.4 expected goals per game. So the chances that have been created in, in their games are just off the scale, really. Um, and I think that's partly down to the attack-minded football that they want to play, the improvement in terms of personnel that they've brought in in the forward areas, such as Diaby. Um, and I think Zaniolo will be another one to keep an eye on. Yeah, Very, very good player. Um, but Daniel also the high week. line. Yep. Yeah, all the high line that they play defensively. They, they will get caught out. We saw Newcastle get catch them out a lot in that opening weekend. Um, and I think Liverpool will have the potential to do that again. I mean, it's just a way that we saw it in Liverpool a few years ago. People were questioning it, that Liverpool playing a high line. It's just the way in which teams evolve now. It's, you play that high line, you do take a risk, but you also, A, catch people offside and B, force the ball in the opposition third and try and win it back quite quickly. So it is, you know, it has its benefits, it has its um, risks. And yeah, I think this is going to be a really open game. I think there's going to be plenty of goals. And so, yeah, I, I think the, over three at that kind of price um, definitely stood out to me as a bet. This is a matchup I'm excited for. Watch what's going to happen down the Villa left-hand side and the Liverpool right-hand side because the, the way that Klopp uses Trent, bringing him inside, leaves so much space. The way that John McGinn 
plays kind of that left and comes inside, can open up some space for Dinier or, 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 or other strikers or other players to come down that left-hand side. That's going to be a key in this game. And I think the advantage stands with Aston Villa here. Um, the way that Unai Emery utilized his team last week, it caught my attention. I think they can go to Anfield and get something. You don't bet, uh, you know, you don't bet Liverpool to lose at home, but you don't have to bet them to win. And I think that Villa can come away with another draw, go there and get something this weekend. I like the handicap at a plus number. Aston Villa at 0.75, plus 0.75 at plus 105. If Liverpool win by a goal, you get half your bet back. Um, but I, I, I just think that Villa is a team that can exploit and take advantage of potential weakness in this Liverpool side. And the fact that it is the second choice center back pairing this weekend, I think that opens up things. Unai Emery is too good of a manager to not be able to come up with a game plan on how to try to exploit that this weekend. So I think it's a good spot for Aston Villa. So, uh, let's go with Villa on the handicap one unit, just a one unit play there. Uh, let's finish up in our feature five with the final game of the weekend before the international break. 4.30 p.m. local time on Sunday. It's Arsenal on seven points and Manchester United on six points. Arsenal conceding the first minute last week to Fulham and Andreas Pereira, and then Asaka and a, a penalty and, and Ketty a goal. Put them a goal up. Bassi was sent off in the 83rd, but somehow Polina ends up scoring the equalizer for Fulham with 10 men. And it could have been even worse. Did end 2-2 in that game. Still the 3.23 XG for Arsenal there. This experiment with Thomas Party at right back, I don't quite get it. There, Arteta, I know that he's a disciple of Pep, but it doesn't mean that you don't have to play with fullbacks. Like there's no natural fullbacks he's playing with. I guess Zinchenko's the closest thing. He came back, returned last weekend off the bench, as did Jesus up top, and both will be in contention for a potential start this weekend. Another big talking point how to get the best out of Kai Havertz. You know, they didn't start with a out and out number nine in this game. It's not just Havertz. It's just a lot of kind of similar profile players. And you just wonder kind of where Arteta might be going with this. They do have the second best expected goals against through three games at 2.89. This is their third home match already this season. But this week, I'm just going to say it. This is a clear step up in competition. Although Manchester United haven't looked great at times, they've come away with two wins from the first three, something that they didn't last season. It went from disaster to sigh of relief at Old Trafford, down 2-0 in four minutes to Nottingham Forest, coming away with a 3-2 come-from-behind victory. All three midfielders scored in that game. Eriksen, Casemiro, Bruno, as the front, front three just continue to struggle to fire. Uh, they were the better side in that game against Nottingham Forest. There's no doubt about that. A 3.03 XG, according to Understat. The, the penalty certainly helps that, but still, um, they're creating plenty of chances, especially coming from Bruno Fernandes as well. They've conceded twice in back-to-back games. It's worth mentioning. But the story for Manchester United was, is what's happening off the field with injuries. Luke Shaw, out long-term. Varane, out long-term. Joining the likes of Mount, Malassia, and Mainu. Eminem and M&M, all there still on the sidelines. Uh, Hoyland might be playing this weekend. It sounds like he will be available for Manchester United at the time of recording. It hasn't been confirmed, but it seemed it would seem to be a big shock if he does end up going uh, and starting the game. 
cost $72 million. Basically, Anthony Martial is not the answer, but Rashford is certainly better on the left. So how United want to use that number nine position? Still big question marks there. Uh, they've only scored four goals on the season, but they do have the fourth best expected goals at 7.44. Their struggles against top teams away from home is well documented. It makes them an underdog heading to the Emirates this weekend. Arsenal head to head with United, no clean sheets in five, but these two sides have played to the over two and a half in four of five. Arsenal won this fixture 3-2 last season. It was a late goal scored by Enkedi in that game. Uh, he scored a brace in that 3-2 victory. United got the best of Arsenal 3-1 at Old Trafford um, last season. And United and Arsenal did play in the preseason. Uh, played in New York. And it was United 2-0 victory over Arsenal. So where are we going here? Because there, there's, there's two sides... I think in most people's opinion, Jake, neither team is completely impressed in these early stages of the season. So where do you go with this one? Um, just completely avoid the main markets and go with goals. That's the play. Um, yeah, I think Arsenal are too short. Minus 125 to win. Um, it looks too too short to me to, to get on side. And, you know, Man United with their injury issues and the defensive issues, particularly what we saw against Wolves and Tottenham, um, there, you know, there's too many question marks there for me to get on board with them getting a result, even on the handicap. So, um, yeah, I, I've gone with over three goals, a full unit play minus 108. Um, as you mentioned, the the issues for United in defence. I mean, they're missing uh, half of their starting back line heading into the weekend. Um, you know, they, they adopting this kind of more Eric Ten Hagian way of playing, which is you know pressing more, trying to be a bit more front foot. Um, in you know, so far this season, it has led to more chance creation. They've averaged two and a half expected goals yeah. four per game. Um, cr- even created plenty at Tottenham, and they were unfortunate to get shut out in that one. But it does, it has left them exposed defensively. 1.7 expected goals against per game. And granted, this is a small sample size, but you know, they are leaving big holes and big gaps to be exploited by their opponents. And, um, you know, it, it it's not a recipe for consistent success, but it is a recipe for goals. And then that's exactly what we should see. In, Arsenal have kind of been similar in the sense that they've, you know, they've played two home games so far against two teams that I think will be in the bottom half this season, Forest and Fulham. Both teams conceded, uh, both teams scored against Arsenal at the Emirates. Um, granted, they didn't create a lot of good chances and they conceded plenty as well, but, you know, it shows that there is a soft underbelly there still. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the Thomas Party thing is interesting. Um, he's trying to do almost, what he did with Zinchenko last season, um, but more more forced, I think, in the sense that obviously Julian Timber was brought in, he's now out, so they're kind of a little bit short. And you know, the whole reason for it last week in particular was you know Gabriel um, linked with a move away and potentially his head not being there, so he wasn't playing, which meant Ben White had to to, to move in, inside a little bit, uh, and Kiwior played left-back as well. So it was almost four, three centre-halves and a centre-mid at, at the back, which yeah, is very unusual. I don't expect that this time around, this week. I think we'll be, we'll be back to the normal-looking backline of Zinchenko, Saliba, Gabriel, and Ben White at right-back. And, and that, to me, while it will make them more solid, I think it will mean that they have more of a foothold in the game, which could open up the counter-attack even more for Manchester United. So... 
yeah, I think Arsenal will score a couple of goals here, and, and you know it wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me if if Arsenal hit three goals themselves in this match. Um, and obviously, Man United I do expect to get on the score sheet as well. But taking over three obviously means you get a push if there is exactly three goals, and I think that's the safe play for me. Over three goals at minus one eleven, full unit play. They've played to the over both games last season. Both teams are creating a ton of chances, not scoring a lot of goals. Um, yeah, for, for all the aforementioned reasons that you documented, the overplay is the best play here. I was tempted to play United on the handicap. You can get them at, um, you know, a win or a draw at plus, uh, 112. Uh, the handicap, the, the Asian handicap of point plus 0.75 for United at minus 113. I was tempted to go there. I'm fading Arsenal. It's been good for me, especially last week against Fulham. Um, but this one here, just not quite ready to pull the trigger when you have the total play, which seems to be the more straightforward one for me in this game. So I wouldn't discourage anyone for dabbling a little bit with United. I think they're being a little bit undervalued, if that's possible when it comes to Manchester United right now. Um, but there we go. The total play. We're both aligned on that one. Let's move things forward. Let's go rapid fire for the remaining game. There's Friday night football and Premier League football at Kenilworth Road. It's Luton Town. It's West Ham United. West Ham ended Saturday. Top of the table. Could you believe it? Fortunately, Sunday happened. But <laughs> there was a one fleeting moment. They've scored three goals in back-to-back games against Chelsea and Brighton. And James Ward-Prowse uh, is loving life as being a hammer. And Alvarez looked pretty good as well. Looks like they're... The transfer business has been quite decent for West Ham. What do you make of this game, Jake? Yeah, this is a... I may be going against the grain here, but I think this is a potential to be a bit of an upset. So I'm taking Luton with the plus 0.75 handicap. Um, the reason for it, I'm taking it a full unit, minus 117, is I've got major question marks around West Ham against teams that sit back against them. You know, the last couple of results against Chelsea and Brighton, even Bournemouth on the opening day uh, against teams that are much more aggressive in their approach. They're, you know, pu- push West Ham back to a position they kind of like, which is, you know, coiled spring almost, you know, get pushed back and then bang, they counterattack. They've got pace. They've got a bit of quality in the forward passes um, that they can create and score on the, on, the, on the break. And I do just wonder if they, you know, they're not going to get the opportunity to do that on Friday. I definitely think Luton will be, um, you know, the, the, the team that do sit back and kind of ask the questions of West Ham, like, can, can you break us down almost? And if you look at their record last season, particularly away from home, West Ham against teams, um, that I would classify as teams that, you know, almost sit back themselves and try and play on the counter attacks so of a similar kind of, um, ilk to West Ham. They lost one nil at Forest. They lost one nil at Everton. They lost two one at Crystal Palace under Vieira. So before Roy Hodgson came in, um, they lost one nil against Wolves and they lost 1-0 at Crystal Palace with Roy Hodgson in charge. So a little bit of a caveat there because they were a bit more attack-minded. But in general, when they travel against teams that almost play a similar style, they did struggle a little bit. So I'm just going to play on that a little bit and take Luton on the handicap. And also, you know, Luton, Kenilworth Road's a tough place to go. I know it's in the Championship, but they only lost eight times in 47 games across the last two seasons in the Championship. At home, which is a staggering stat, really. Uh, and it shows just how much of a fortress they built 
um, there. And yeah, this is a different kettle of fish for them. So taking them on the handicap, Luton win, we get a win. If it ends in a draw, we get a full win. And if Luton lose by a goal, we get a half loss. So yeah, I'm happy to take a chance on that. I'm actually looking at this game in a similar way to you, but I have a different play. Both teams to score, yes, at minus 118. Understand what you're saying about West Ham. I think that Luton Town, by the way, are going to be up for it. I, I do think that they can score. Uh, a guard's out this weekend uh, at center back for West Ham. Mavropanos, he's not fit yet, not ready to play, at least at the time of this, th- this taping. So West Ham could be a little bit vulnerable. It's going to be an emotional Friday night. Uh, Kenilworth Road. The same time where West Ham are a lot better. JWP. It's James Ward Prowse on set pieces. I think their set piece plays work is being is going to be dramatically improved with him in the fold. They do have some big bodies, some players that can really make a difference. So a one-one game, I could I could see something like that playing out. But I do like both teams to score in this game at minus one eighteen, a full unit play there. Uh, Sheffield United in Everton. This might ruin the streak of overs that we've been going through <laughs> Sheffield United 1.74 XG through three games, but they've only scored two goals. Everton, the only team in the Premier League without a goal. Are you going with the unders here or do you have another play? I'm going to leave this one alone. Um, I generally would back against unders whenever Sheffield United are involved because of all everything we've discussed previously. We get bitten last time, though, um, away at Nottingham Forest, which I think was a similar kind of game to what I expect here in the sense that it is early in the season, but it is a bit of a six-pointer. It's a kind of a must-win for both. You know, Sheffield United, this is a great opportunity to get that first victory. You know, the, the schedule hasn't been overly difficult, but it's not been kind either. And this looks like the first real opportunity, especially at Bramall Lane, to get the tea, get their fans on side and, and get a positive result. And I was looking at Sheffield United to win at plus 213. Oh. Um, I speak to a lot of friends who are Sheffield United fans and they, they've seen improvements week on week, but I've not seen it personally. So I'm happy to leave it alone um, and just watch. And, you know, there's a lot I like, don't like about Everton in terms of their defensive process, but they have created the chances recently and just not put it away. So again, it's just one of those where just give it another week. Uh, neither one of these teams can score goals, so both teams to score no at minus one eleven. Work for me, Everton Wolves. Let's put that dare out again into the ether. Uh, both teams to score no at minus one eleven. A full unit play on that one. Um, Manchester City and Fulham, three p.m. local time on Saturday. A City get this one point three three expected goals against the best in the Premier League. Fulham, 9.29 expected goals against is the worst. Does that really tell the story here going into this game, Jake? Uh, I hope so. <laughs> I'm, taking, I'm taking City on the handicap. Um, I'm going to continue opposing Fulham because their defensive process is wretched. Uh, minus two is the handicap. Uh, minus 129 is the price. And I'm going full unit play. Um so yeah, I did a bit of digging last season. City averaged 2.4 expected goals for per game, 0.7 expected goals against per game. So a very, very strong supremacy. Um, over the t- 19 home matches they played last season, they covered the minus two in eight of 19. So it won in eight of uh, eight times out of 19. It pushed in six times. So only lost in five. So if you played this minus two handicap in every Manchester City home game, you would have been in profit um, over the course of the season. And Fulham, very fortunate again last week. They were really lucky against Everton. 
um, won 1-0, shipped 2.6 XG, got hammered by Brentford, shipped over three expected goals. And then, you know, the XG again conceded over three expected goals against Arsenal. So in total, they've conceded an average of 3.1 expected goals against per game. So they're building on the fact that they were the worst defensive team in the league last season. Not to be outdone. They are continuing that streak. Um, and yeah, I just think this is a bit of a mismatch. And, you know, they, they've definitely got a bit of something going forward, potentially, uh, on the counter-attack. The likes of Adama Traore, who's just been brought in, could be a little bit of a problem for Manchester City. But I can see City scoring three, four, maybe even five in this game, if they click. If they click. We got burned on City on the handicap, both of us last week at Sheffield United. Looked like it'd come through. Same play. Minus 129 on the handicap, minus two for Man City. Difficult stretch of games. Arsenal in the league, Spurs in the cup, which they won on Tuesday uh, in pens and City on the weekend. I'll say this. I'm not – I actually like this Fulham side. I actually do think that they're going to do better than, than you project this season, but they cannot sign sell Polina this week. They need to keep Polina. Such an important player to this team. Um, but going to the Emirates this weekend, don't like their chances. City on the handicap, we're both aligned. A full unit play. Uh, Brentford and Bournemouth. I have no play here. I do like both teams. Um, but there's nothing that stands out to me in this game. How about you? Exactly the same. Yeah, I think Brentford are a little bit too short to get on board with this week. So yeah, no bet. And finally, Palace and Wolves, a 2 p.m. game on Sunday. Palace has played to the under in all three games thus far. And Wolves came away with their first win last time out against Everton, although it was a little bit of a struggle, wasn't it? I do have a play in this game, but I'll let you go first. Um, No bet for me. Uh, you'll like this, though, because over here in England, this Crystal Palace-Wolves match is actually in the TV slot ahead of Liverpool-Aston Villa. So whoever did that scheduling needs to have a look at themselves. So yeah, we've got to sit through Crystal Palace versus Wolves while the rest of the world get to watch Liverpool versus Aston Villa. Um, yeah, no bet for me. I would be looking at maybe the unders, um, maybe taking Crystal Palace, but I need to see a bit more from both of them really to make a full judgment. I was thinking about the under, but I actually prefer an outright win for Crystal Palace, a full unit play at minus 103. This team's good. They've been, they continue to be very strong. Uh, coming up away with a point last week, not creating much away from home against Brentford. That showed me something more about the way that they can play away. But at home, it's just a decided advantage for them against the Wolves team. If they lose Nunez this week, who knows what else is going to happen? Give me close to even money. Uh, that's a play I cannot turn down. So Palace for the win, full unit at minus one hundred three. Before we wrap up, your favorite or best value play of the week? Uh, play of the week is Jake Osgathorpe. Mine is over three goals in Liverpool Aston Villa, closely followed by a Tottenham team total. Okay. Uh, I kind of like Sheffield United, Everton, both teams have scored no as my final play of the week. They might be able to play both uh, fixtures against one another this season, and we might not even see a goal scored. So that's my favorite play this week. Uh, you can follow along with us by subscribing to Pinnacle, the various channels across social media. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, and keep on listening to this podcast each and every week. Follow along with Jake at Jake Oz, myself at Gareth Wheeler or Gareth.Wheeler on Instagram. May you have better luck 
and let's call it luck because we were unlucky last week. I'll put it down to that. Better luck this week, Jake. Thanks for this. Likewise, yeah, hopefully the vetting gods are on our side this time. And let's see how it all plays out. I am Gareth Wheeler, and this has been EPL Insights powered by Understad, well, statistically speaking. And of course, you can follow and listen to us on Pinnacle.